But anyway, I have a theory. That in order for us to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the faithfulness, the, all, all those things that Galatians tells us we can have, we have to have connections. We have to be connected to one another. We have to be connected to the Word of God, and we've got to be connected most of all to God Himself. And they all said, we have to have those connections, and I find in my life, and I don't know what your experience has been, is that we tend to shy away from those connections when it comes to the horizontal ones. We tend to shy away from those connections, and we refuse to allow those connections to do what they could do. In other words, the people around you probably know some things that you need to know but they're afraid to tell you. Amen? They're afraid to tell you some things because they know or they feel like you're not going to take it very well if they do. And so they keep their mouth shut and they deprive you of the opportunity to outgrow some stuff. They deprive you of the opportunity to face some things in your life that are hindering you from being the fruitful child of God that you should be. And so here's where I'm coming down. I believe that if you know who you are in Christ, your ego will be your ego will be safe enough that you will allow your brothers and sisters in Christ to sit down, look in the eye and say, "I'm seeing something in you that I think you should pray about." Amen. I I see something emerging in your life right now. We're scared to death. If I pull you aside and say, "You know, there is an attitude developing in you that worries me a little bit. Can we talk about it? And you go, what? Don't you judge me. Who do you think? And, and we refuse to hear the things we desperately need to hear as if somehow there'll be a surprise if we find out. You know, everybody around us knows what problems we have. Everybody knows what our weaknesses are. Everybody around us knows it's not a surprise. So last week I started telling you and talking to you about how to connect with the person you are in Christ. Hopefully that will give you the safety to allow other people to come into your life and, and speak life into you. I told you last week that you have an advocate. When everybody else gives up on you, he won't. Amen. Jesus is your advocate. I told you last week that you're fruitful. You've been given by the Holy Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. You have been given those by the power of God. Now we need to walk and keep in step with those. I told you last week that we've been made more than victorious through the one that loved us. In all the trials of life, we've been made more than conquerors. Amen? Then I told you last week that you are a servant of the Most High God. And the servant of the Most High God gets to enjoy the happiness of his master. If we serve, we receive the happiness of our master. I think there's way too many Christians going around sad and depressed. Could I get an amen? Way too many Christians are going through life just hoping they make it another day. But the Bible says, good and faithful servant, enter into the happiness of your master. And that brings us to today's part of this series. You are a worshiper. You are a worshiper. And here's the thing about worship. The better you get at it, the easier it is to do it. Hello? Don't lock up on me now. 
the better you are at it, the easier you are to look at it. If you to, to, to do it, because if you are in a personal relationship with Jesus, that is that personal relationship with Jesus that makes worship so doable. You know, it's it's kind of a sad day when the only time we can worship God is when they're singing our favorite song. That didn't get past the front row. It's kind of a sad thing that when we equate worship with music. Now, we sing music and we we do music and we do music in worship. Hopefully, it's creating an environment that's easier for us to experience the presence of God. But my friends, I kind of under the conviction that most of our worship goes on when there's no music playing. Amen. Most of our worship goes on when we are moving in places where we don't have access to music. And we're just worshiping God because of who God is. The Bible says in John 4, chapter, John 4 verse 23, Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And with a five-piece band... And great vocalists and multi-talented people. Remember when Jesus said that? The time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they, they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. I don't. Now, anyway, I can be a fruitful believer without being a worshipful believer. There's something about that intimate connection with God in the spirit realm that changes me and makes me more like my Savior. And I've got to have that or I will never begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Worship is that time when I step through the veil of carnality and into the spiritual presence of God and the Holy Spirit is doing a work in my life in that moment. I don't know how we could ever be fruitful without that. Jesus warned us this way. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me. They worship me. Who do they worship? They worship me, he says. And then he says the most confusing thing you'll ever read. In vain. They're not worshiping some strange God. They worship me. They got the God right. They're worshiping the right God. But they worship the right God in vain. It's empty worship, he says. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. The right God, but the wrong worship, he says. What are we? Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision. Now, that doesn't make sense to Gentiles. (laughs) We are the circumcision. But if you were a Jew, you understand that circumcision is this huge deal. Because circumcision says that I am in a covenant relationship with Father Abraham. 
And I'm in that covenant that Abraham made with Jehovah God. And so I have this covenant relationship with God through Abraham. And Paul comes along and says, no, 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 no. We are the circumcision. We're the ones in the covenant relationship with God. And this is who we are. We who worship by the Spirit. And I hope our praise team doesn't get offended at me, but it didn't say worship by the band. (laughs) Those who worship by the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is reaching out and taking us by the hand and drawing us into the presence of God. That happens sometimes when the band playing, but I hope it happens an awful lot when there's no band to play. Hello? We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. That's who we are. We're worshipers. Number six, if you're just joining today, it's number two. You have a Spirit-inspired message. You have a Spirit-inspired message. Listen to this about you. Now, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to help you understand who you are in Christ so your ego isn't so fragile. So that you have a sense of confidence in who God made you to be, right? I'm not just bragging on you to brag on you. I'm just telling you what Christ has done. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. And why did we receive the spirit who is from God? That we may understand what God has freely given us. I have begun in the spirit that is from God that my mind would understand what God has freely given me. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. So look at this for a moment. This is the Lord talking about His children. He says that the Holy Spirit comes into us, opens up our capacity to experience Christ, and something about the experience we're having with Christ causes the words of Christ to flow out of our mouths. That when I am moving about my life, at least at times, what I am saying is coming from God. Can you imagine speaking and knowing that the Lord is speaking through you? That you're in a situation where there's someone who needs to experience God, and the Holy Spirit is working in your mind, then He's working in your mouth, and the Holy Spirit is ministering to them through your mouth. That's who you are in Christ. Isn't that great? Amen. Catch up with us now. You have spirit-inspired speech. Isn't part of our fruitfulness, I know it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and faith. I know, I know that's in here. But isn't... Part of our fruitfulness also out there? Isn't part of if my life is fruitful, isn't part of my fruitfulness in you? It's, God is speaking 
through me and God is speaking through you and he's creating fruit in the lives of people who are hearing me speak inspired speech. Come on. This is spiritual algebra, isn't it? How do we figure this out? I have a theory. <laughs> are you sure you want to hear it? Because the road's going to get bumpy for a moment here if you hear it. And th- this is this is my theory. I'm not claiming God said this. This may not be inspired speech. It's it's my theory as I have watched life. You know, in in my twenty years, twenty nine years on this earth, I've learned a few things. Add a few decades to that, and you got me. I want you to listen very carefully. Are you listening? The saddest people you will ever meet are people obsessed with making themselves happy. The saddest people I have ever met in my life are people who are obsessed with making themselves happy. Something about getting inward focused makes us miserable. I see it all the time. I see it some of the time. I exaggerate it. I'm talking to someone who's having chronic sadness. And I just want to find a way to have that critical conversation that we're talking about having with each other. We're just saying, you know, I think your biggest problem is you only think about you. I think your biggest problem is, is your world revolves around you. And you need to have a Copernicus experience. Anybody know what that is? If I've got my astronomy down, I think Copernicus was the one that everybody else in the world, all the scientists believed that the world or that the, that everything revolved around the earth, the sun and everything, and we were the center of the universe. And Copernicus, looking at his telescope one night, said, you know, I'm not sure we're the center of the universe. The way things look, maybe we're not. And sometimes you want to say to people, you need a Copernicus experience. The world doesn't, the universe doesn't revolve around you. It rains on your picnic sometimes. You know, it it doesn't always work out. All of life is a testimony that it's not all about you. See, this is rough, and this is rough theory, isn't it? But there is something about, and this is ironic and maybe even contradictory, but there is something about creating fruit in somebody else that makes us happy. I don't know what it is. The happiest I ever can be is when I am making someone else happy. Have you ever gotten those letters and you've gotten those cards or you've you've gotten those messages or gotten those phone calls and someone just says something like this? Man, I was going down for the count, but you stepped in and you shared this with me and it saved my life. Wow, that feels good. It feels good to know that God used me in inspired speech. Number seven, you are an heir with Jesus. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Did you hear that, Sue? Where's Sue? Slave again. I can't get Sue to go up the steps into the balcony and turn the lights on because she's a slave to fear of those steps. But she did have a birthday this week, so maybe she's, I'll leave it there. The only reason I can tease her about it is we were born the same year. She was born at the beginning of it, and I was at the way at the other end of it. For you did not receive the spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, daughtership. And by him we cry, by that spirit we cry, Abba, very personal, intimate expression, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We are heirs. Speaking of Sue, she ran a daycare here for nearly 40 years. She started when she was 10. And I won't give any names because I don't have permission. But one of our grandkids was in the daycare at one time and got into trouble. And Sue took my grandbaby into her office and sat her down. My granddaughter still was not acting just right. And so Sue threatened her again with more punishment. My granddaughter stands up, looks over at the desk at Miss Sue, bats her eyes and says, Miss Sue, have you forgotten who I am? Have you forgotten who I am? I am an heir (laughs) to the guy (laughs) that's in charge here. So you're going to get in trouble. I'm going to pull some strings and, you know, amen. Have you forgotten who your daddy is? Have you forgotten who your father is? Have you forgotten that you are an heir and a joint heir with Christ? Why does our ego get so fragile when we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ? How come how come we can't allow ourselves to to hear anything that doesn't stroke our ego? Why does our ego fall apart so easily? Why can't we sit down with someone who loves Jesus, loves the Word, and loves us, and let them tell us some things we need to work on? I mean, our sonship, our daughtership is not in in jeopardy. What's this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16? At my first defense, no one stood by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. I like these next few words. But the Lord 
but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and that all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth, probably literally. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. The Lord stood with me when everybody abandoned me. The Lord stood with me. I was thinking about this the other day. If you're a part of a family, does that, does that mean just about everybody? If you're a part of a family, and if you're not a part of a family, and even in that family there is an extending out from that, there's friendship and unofficial family members and not blood family, but there's all these people that are connected to your life. And at any given moment, we are offended at a few of them. At any given moment, there's some tension between us and them. And I find, as a pastor, many times when there is tension between people, it comes from a sense of abandonment. I'm mad at you because I needed you and you weren't there for me. And so, bless God, when you need me, I won't be there for you either. Take that. See how that feels. And so at any given moment, you take our network of family and friends. There's prob- there are probably a few of them that we're on the outs with. For the reason of we just don't feel like they're stepping up and really taking care of the relationship well enough. And here's what I'm saying here is there will be times in your life that you will be standing all by yourself at the worst times in your life. And everybody will have something else they've got to do. And while that's going on, you'll be right dead center in the will of God. God wanted you to be alone. Because he wanted you to learn that he is enough. God needed you to walk through a valley with no one but him to depend on so you would know how dependable he is. So I can look around and get mad. Oh, you weren't there for me. Instead of just backing up and saying, you know, you guys weren't there for me when I needed you. But maybe God didn't want you there for me. Maybe God wanted me to walk through this valley hand in hand with him and him alone. That just died like a. Well, let's move on. You see, you didn't enjoy that one. You have been enthroned with Christ. I don't know if you know this. I've been I've been keeping the pace going. Got some scriptures to to share with you here. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is a manual for spiritual warfare. If you read it, it's all about how do you fight with devils and demons and powers and principalities and powers. And here's how it begins. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, now watch, the spirit of wisdom. Did you get that? May give you the spirit of wisdom. And of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. We're talking about spiritual warfare. You've got to have your eyes open. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, enthroned him at the right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only this age, but in the, also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He said, you need the revelation so you understand who Jesus is. He was enthroned above all the powers of darkness. All of them are under the authority of Christ. Do you have that in your mind? All the powers that are going to come against you in the kingdom of darkness, Jesus has been enthroned over them. Now watch this, the second chapter. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up, watch, watch, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Jesus was seated over all the powers of Satan, and we were seated with him. Did you know that? You were enthroned with Jesus. It's like Inauguration Day for the president. When he's inaugurated, it's not just the president. It's, the, it's everybody that's going to be working alongside him. They are in, inaugurated on that same day. And that being the case, watch. Be strong. Be strong. Since you have all this authority and all this power and all this might, that you're enthroned with Jesus in the heavenly realms. You have the capacity to do great spiritual warfare. Since you have all this, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God. And this is why we're going to do this. Look at it. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Are you standing against the schemes of the devil? Or is he winning? Does he have you defeated and whipped down and run off and run away? Are you able to stand against the schemes of the devil? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. My friend, you've been lied to. You've been lied to. The Bible doesn't say that you can get enough faith to end all spiritual warfare. The Bible says you can get enough power to win every time. Hello? The Bible says you can have the strength in Christ to go undefeated in the battlefield where spiritual things are going on. I'm not picking on anybody, but let me pick on somebody. Some Not too long ago, there was a, a church promoting that if you would come to their service on a given night, 
they were going to pray and proclaim over you, the war is over. And I saw people that I knew helping promote this. And I sent them a message and I said, this can't be of God. The war is not going to be over until Jesus comes back and ends it. And if you go to that meeting and you let them pray over you and declare that your war is over, you'll find out before you get home it's not. The war is going to be raging until the end of the age. And anybody who tells you that that's not true is not following the Bible. You are going to be in a spiritual war. But here's the important good news. You have the power to win every time he attacks. One of the terrible things about that doctrine is that an army who thinks the war is over will lay down their weapons. You better not lay down your weapons. The devil's attacking you. He's attacking your family. He's attacking your marriage. He's coming after you. But you have been given weapons that are so strong and so mighty in Christ. I want to make a confession to you. And I I pray that you have enough grace that you won't think bad of me when you hear it. You ready? Ready? I don't know. Beg me a little bit. No, you refuse? Here is the embarrassing confession. Background story. Um, My wife and I grew up in Arkansas. We moved to Missouri, and we spent more than half of our life in Missouri now. And I am a Jayhawk fan. I don't know how it happened. It just happened. It just happened somehow. I mean, when Roy Williams was there, I, you know, I just became a Jayhawk fan, and and I began to root for the Jayhawks, and I'm I'm with them, you know. It, uh, again, I'm sorry. Just just being real now. Take me with all of my warts. Yesterday, I was watching the number three ranked Jayhawks in the land playing the number one team in the nation, those Baptist people down there at Baylor. And I was on pins and needles, and I was, and it was an intense game, one of the best games I've ever seen. I mean, the intensity on both sides. The Jayhawks would move out to a lead, and then the, the Bears would come roaring back, and within seconds to go, it was a one-point game, and I'm all stressed out. And, you know, I kept I had my Fitbit. I kept checking my pulse to see if I was having, about to have a stroke out or something. And finally, the game is over, and the Jayhawks win. Intense game, intense game. Played so well. And then, just for kicks and giggles, I jumped over to the Arkansas-Missouri game. Here you have teams they call on the bubble. And I'm watching them play, having just watched this game. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with them? 
I mean, I'm a Razorback fan. Oh, man, I'm, I'm in trouble because I'm in Missouri. And then I see them shoot from half court, and they don't even try to rebound. They just head down there to play. And I'm getting so frustrated with them because I know people in Missouri tease me if Arkansas gets beat by Missouri. You know? And, you know, we, and I saw the quality of play between those two teams. And it, I kept complaining to Vivian. I said, man, look at, look at the – they don't even act like either one of them wants to win this game. They're lazy. They're not hitting the boards. They're not hustling. And then I thought, I just watched two of the best teams in the nation play. And now I'm watching two of the not-so-best teams. And there's no comparison to the effort that I see coming down. Why did I tell you that story? As a believer, you enjoy it all. At least you should be. I want to get serious, and I know it's funny, but you should be kicking the devil on a regular basis. You should be someone that scares him to death. Why are you slinging it up at half court and not even trying to rebound? Get in this. To win. The Bible says of you, of you, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control and faithfulness. Why aren't those all over you? Why aren't those all over you? Because they are rightfully yours. They're rightfully yours. And my theme for this series has been you've got to make the right connections. You've got to con- make the right connections. You've got to make the right disconnections. You've got to make the right reconnections. And you've got to connect with who you are in Christ. You really, you really, really, really don't have to spend another year living a fruitless life. This year, 2020, can be the year of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. This can be the year. You don't have to go around with the opposite of that happening in your life. Vivian and I, this week, we involved in a project that hopefully if it all comes together just right it, it'll be part of our Easter celebration this year but this may surprise you we we spent many many hours this week talking to a man who spent almost three decades as a meth addict and has been sober for five years now. I saw on social media him and other people that, because he's from my hometown, and I told him this week, I said, I hate to admit this to you, 
but I have written you off as dead. I thought you were gone. When you were in all that stuff for all those decades, I thought you were gone. And he started talking to us about what God was doing among the meth heads in that area. And the one thing I want to tie into this message is that how can it be that a God who can deliver drug addicts can't deliver you? How can that be? How can it be that the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the good, how if he can bring someone back from death and addiction, why can't he bring you? Why can't he bring you? It's sometimes we we get so comfortable in our churchism that we forfeit our power. We forfeit our power. And life is difficult, and life is sad, and life is depressing, and life is everything it shouldn't be. But we, we go, well, this is just the way. It, no, 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 no. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's yours. That's yours. And God wants you to have it. And if you have the connections that you need to have to God, to his word, and to his people, you will have it. Amen? You will have it. Stand with me, please. your life is less than spiritually fruitful. It's time to quit praying that God will change what's going on around you and start praying that God will change what's going on inside of you. That he will break up the hardened ground and he will fertilize the spiritual root system of your life. And the fruit will start popping out. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus for fruitfulness. Sometimes life is contrary. Sometimes it's adversarial. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's stressful. But fruit is still fruit when your Holy Spirit is its source. And I'm asking you, Father, that you administer your sons and daughters today that they would not accept for a moment anything less than fruitfulness. That that would be their birthright and that they would live in it. Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, I'm going to ask
ask you, Lord, that you'd give them the faith that they would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And in so doing, they'll be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you're a guest today, we welcome you. I'm sure some of you came today to be a part of the baptismal service.